Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. Today, weekend of drama. Liverpool pushed 16 points clear in big clash at Anfield. Elsewhere, Man City caught by most surprising toss and performance since Tyson Fury's pre-fight build-up. And Newcastle win despite hitting only three balls in the box. And two of them were with that corner flag. We round up all the news and look forward to midweek where there's a whole other set of fixtures coming up. It's all in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday morning. How you doing, listener? I'm here uh, with Carl Anker. Hello, everyone. Welcome to you, Carl Anker. Matt Davis Adams is in too. Hiya. It's a big, big pod because we've also got Benji Lanyardo, hey, Jimbo, founder of, of Pick Fair and formerly of the Stop Hammer Time podcast. I'm still very much. On this Are you still of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to be a big episode this week, isn't it? It's a big episode every week on Stop mm. Hammer Time, but Jimbo. But especially this week. Yeah, yeah. 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 And also here, Nick Miller out of the office. Hello. Brilliant to see you, Nick. Oh, it's lovely to see you too, James. What happens so rarely? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Uh, what wonderful content you're putting up on totallyfootballshow.com. Absolutely. Yes. Big Mike Dean expose this week. Yeah, which went, which went down very well with Arsenal fans on the, the internet. Oh, did it? Yeah, was, I'm not 100% sure why, but he's not a popular man with the Arsenal fans. They seem to kind of be under the impression that this was a, a searing, serious piece of journalism rather than a bit of light fun. And they right. weren't impressed that we were endorsing the existence of Mike Dean. Arsenal fans, that doesn't sound like them. You said that, Benji. I <laughs> couldn't possibly comment. Well, we'll talk about uh, Arsenal's latest brush with Mike Dean a little bit later on. But let's just catch up on some of the headlines from this rip-roaring weekend of Premier League football. There were draws galores on Saturday. Uh, amongst the Man City... Uh, with Crystal Palace, Arsenal with the Blades and Watford Spurs where there were 32 shots but no goals. Meanwhile, Newcastle beat Chelsea. On Sunday, Burnley got the best of Leicester and Liverpool moved 16 points clear, as we mentioned, with that 2-0 win at Anfield over Man United. Midweek, round 24 is underway, featuring Bournemouth Brighton. Yeah, me too. And Chelsea-Arsenal. Shall we start with Liverpool 2, Man United 0? You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Liverpool 2, Man United 0. Liverpool now 16 points clear with a game in hand. And 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 30 points above Manchester United. Karl Anker, what did you make of Sunday's performance? Liverpool are a true European super heavyweight, possibly the best football team on the planet. Manchester United would be lucky to get to the latter stages of the Europa League. One is a finely well-tuned footballing institution that has rebuilt themselves over the last three or four years. The other one is a confederacy of dunces that has taken (laughs) 17 months to hire a director of football. Oh, it's the director of football thing, isn't it? Where is my director of football? But there's a director of football imminent, surely. I mean, they surely wouldn't let it go this long without... No? No, no. no. What, oh, they, what, okay. they, what they have done is they've, they've hired uh, the gentleman behind Sunday Supplement to help Manchester United with, with PR. So, you know. Oh, is that what Neil Ashton's doing? Yes, yes, yes. He'll be responsible for helping uh, zhuzh up the, the, the PR image of Manchester United and make it seem like Manchester United aren't comical for playing Marcus Rashford despite the fact he had a uh, stress fracture in his back right. and a bit of floating bone in his ankle. Never stopped Bert Troutman, of course, famously. <laughs> in the... uh, but, uh, but anyway, so well, Sunday's game then, comical or otherwise, a 2-0 victory. Virgil van Dijk with a, his usual imperious uh, heading work and then right at the death, Mo Salah on a glorious assist from from Allison, which, Matt, you feel Valverde probably would have dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for all the element, I mean, it's quite funny watching a Man United game with Carl at the moment, but for all the element of calamity there is about their performance, which is sort of enjoyable to people of our age who watch them win every game for 15 years, they could easily have not lost this game. I mean, maybe winning it was a bit of a stretch, which Gary Neville was kind of alluding to the fact that they might do but they had so many good chances particularly in the second half but even that one in the first half with Andreas Pereira when he Mm. inexplicably went with his wrong foot rather than just tapping it in from inside the six yard box Um, yeah you can kind of see Solskjaer defending it as hey we nearly took something from the game even though they were by far the inferior team in general play 
Was it in some ways reminiscent of last weekend's Liverpool performance when against Spurs they came out narrow winners, but there were late chances and you feel if Spurs had had a bit of a try before? Yeah, but this is, uh, I mean, Manchester United you know, won't want to look at it this way, but this is more creditable in a way than Spurs because they were the away team and Liverpool haven't lost mm. at Anfield in, in however long. So oddly, although it was clownish at times, there were positives for for. Manchester United to take from the game I thought it's kind of a weirdly high octane experience watching Liverpool because they they're obviously brilliant and they you know have won all these games and they look incredibly threatening all the time but they also look quite vulnerable at times as well that you know United uh, had a number of chances Liverpool should have kind of put the game away a long time before they did and obviously they had a couple of goals disallowed it was a curious experience of Liverpool being very obviously better but only just winning in the end Roy Keane didn't go in two-footed on United, which I was quite surprised by. I do wonder if he's got a bit of a kind of loyalty to, to, to Solskjaer. Otherwise, I think he might have been a little bit more punitive. Um, there, were, there were a few positives. Weirdly, I thought Luke Shaw was quite good at centre-back. Um, and Williams, again, looks pretty good. But otherwise, it's quite... Uh, we, we were talking about... We all just watched the game together. And we were talking about how um, it was quite symbolic that, that Pereira is essentially playing as United's number 10 at the moment. I mean, he is... You know, pretty mediocre, isn't he? Oh my goodness, this man is. Oh, he's an unserious football individual. He was. He was <laughs> unserious. Un- unserious. He was on loan at Valencia, failed in his loan at Valencia. He was playing as a winger in Valencia, came back, then gets that sort of fun slot that one player gets in sort of the first couple of games after an international tournament where everyone's knackered and like, hey, so I can pick any position I want. I'm going to be a defensive midfielder. Doesn't do that very well. Then all of a sudden this season he's decided he's a number 10. And it's not inexplicable that he went for the wrong foot. He went for the wrong foot because he's not a good footballer. Just on the subject, Nick, of those goals that were disallowed, poof, a Gino Ronaldo's uh, finish past De Gea. Yeah, it's the kind of goal that you sort of feel there should be uh, an allowance for against the rules, just for, for artistic impression or something. Absolutely, absolutely. Superb. Possibly the most press-resistant midfielder you've got in the Premier League where sort of there are two or three oncoming players and he will find a way to to eke out an inch of space or, or just play the pass regardless and really really good shrugging things off it's very telling when Genie decides to go to ground because he will typically win a free kick when he finally does remarkably he's one Genie that's quite hard to bottle up hey. <laughs> hey. uh, that's now seven uh, Premier League clean sheets in a row for Liverpool they need ten more wins to be crowned champions and their tenth game from now is uh, away to Man City early April that would make them actually the earliest winners of the Premier League title earliest previous one I think is Manchester United in 2000-2001 those clean sheets as well it's mm. all been um, Van Dijk and Gomez I think he's, Gomez has been there for most of it. And I, I'm sort of getting to the stage where I'm starting to look at everything through a, a Euros prism. And I think we probably saw both of England's centre-backs today, M- Maguire and, and Gomez. I, I think that that's now his position. It must be. He's probably above Mings in a pecking order. You've got to say, probably the other English centre-back playing brilliantly at the moment is Smalling. Um, but... Uh, Carl, you were saying earlier on as well that there's that kind of seniority between Maguire and Lindelof and then Van Dijk and Gomez. And therefore, I think you kind of do the mix and match there. And I, I, and I feel quite confident in uh, Maguire and Gomez for England. Cut to June. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> uh, as for United, Carl, uh, Marcus Rashford has a double stress fracture in his back. And a piece of floating bone was found yeah. in his ankle. Uh, so, so how did all this happen? Manchester United's medical facilities have atrophied in the in the final years of Alex Ferguson's tenure and haven't improved much since uh, when Van Hal turned up apparently he was sh- shocked and appalled at the state and then tried to do a small reboot which was quickly scuppered when Mourinho came through Mourinho himself is a interesting individual when it comes to player fitness you are now seeing it at Tottenham Hotspur how he's basically saying there's injured and there's injured and he gets very very annoyed when players refuse to play through the pain barrier so United's medical team aren't the best. This is why I thought talk about Pogba having his people was overblown because Pogba is a sensible individual and Manchester United are an unserious footballing institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it does seem that Rashford, a gentleman who has played with painkilling injections and through stress fractures previously. So uh, the last time two, two sides met in, I want to say April, uh, I was on the podcast afterwards where basically Solskjaer had four injuries after the game. So 
Lingard got injured. Rashford had to take a painkilling injection because he had an ankle knock. Uh, Sanchez got injured. I think Mata got injured as well. This is what happens. United don't have the medical staff. They don't have the, the correct training facilities. Solskjaer worked his players into the ground over but the summer as well. a stress fracture, a double stress fracture. What? How'd you get one of those? In his back. Ones? That's, you know, carrying the team. Well, <laughs> if, he, if I could borrow Benji's prism, that, that's concerning for England. You know, if Harry Kane's already touch and go for the Euros and Rashford... Back injuries aren't notoriously, they don't heal quickly or particularly well, do they? So concerning for Manchester United, but Gareth Southgate will have been particularly troubled. Though back injuries can cause all kinds of other kind of problems with hamstrings and various other things as well. So I would very much not like him to play football until after the next international break. Obviously, Harry Maguire has played through a hip injury as well. I don't know how well he's doing. It's it's all unravelling. Well, the, the next international break's in, in March, but if you're talking about double stress factor of the back... Presumably, you're looking at next season, aren't you, for Rashford? If you're a serious footballing institution, yes. All right. Well, in the short-term future, Liverpool, uh, this coming Thursday, will be making the trip to Molyneux to take on Wolverhampton Wanderers. United on Wednesday will be at home to Burnley, who faced Leicester in the, other, in the early game uh, on Sunday. A 2-1 win for Burnley, who came from behind to get their first win in five uh, quite dramatic scenes there. Uh, Wooden Barnes and Westwood. Uh, some people are liquidated too, saying this is the first Premier League game where the second goal scorer is the material from which the first goal scorer is built. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, quite a turnaround for uh, Burnley. Not so much for Leicester, who've now lost four times in their last six league games. And Jamie Vardy missing a penalty as well. The wheels have fallen off since the injury to Wilfred and Didi. So he's very much the, mm. the stopper that allows Leicester to play more or less three number 10s. Um, Yuri Tillemans was dropped last week because uh, Rogers basically said the young lad is knackered. And I think it, it's getting to the point where... He didn't where start this one either. He didn't. So he, no. Tillemans is quite tired. Madison is, in a good way, he's very much like a teenager in the last stage of Liverpool. In a bad way, he's like Coutinho in the last stages of Liverpool, where basically he will either score or assist, but if that doesn't come off, he doesn't really add much. Mm. Leicester's still with a healthy margin over the teams chasing the top four. 11 points clear. So there's that. They've got the um, second leg of the League Cup semi-final coming up as well. And after the first leg, they drew 1-1 with a kind of very patchwork Villa side. But there seemed to be a kind of vibe of, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll beat them in the second leg. It'll be fine. But I think as their form has seen recently, I think that that first leg was a real missed opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. We need Leicester as well. I think that they're... Don't worry, they're not going anywhere. I'm worried though, Jimbo. Genuinely, so if, if they were... They're 11 points clear of fifth. I know, okay. But if they, if they were to keep this wobble up yes. and drop out, I think that it'd be bad, bad for English football because genuinely, if, I think it would, it would make the 2016 win seem less exceptional if they were to finish in the top four again. You know, uh, since that win... Yeah. Their net spend has been ninety million pounds, which is right. kind of nothing. And they've and they've and they've done this with if two different. If you're Burnley, spots. that's an awful lot. There's a big Harry Maguire, eighty million asterisks on what you've just said there. Well, yeah. And Mares and yeah. Kante mm. and Drinkwater, mm. but still, I think it's extraordinary that like, they, they are an incredibly well-run club. Right. Um, and they've they've changed almost the entire team apart from Schmeichel and Vardy. Um, and generally, I support a team from the lower end of, of the Premier League table. Leicester lay a lie to this idea that you've got to spend massively and you've got to have a big shiny stadium yeah. to breach the upper echelon. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Ben. Just to point out, they were beaten today by Burnley, who <laughs> were the, the ultimate example of not spending any, any money ever. No, but you're right. It's lovely to have them and, and long may that continue. Uh, we will discuss more exciting teams like Chelsea and Arsenal and how they're looking ahead of their big derby encounter on Tuesday after this. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Hey everybody, who wants to talk about Chelsea and Arsenal and their big clash on Tuesday and how disappointing they both were this weekend. Arsenal, who got into trouble playing with Blades and Chelsea, who got beaten at Newcastle. Oh, Matt, you, you saw this game, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, I actually... 
I'm not sure that it's a massive deal for Chelsea in terms of, you know, the wheels falling off and how did they lose this game? They, it, it was one of those, if they'd had Eden Hazard, they would have won it quite comfortably. You don't. But but yeah, absolutely, take that point. But Newcastle scored, you know, with their second attempt of the game that came off somebody who never scores a goal off his nose. It was sort of slightly fortuitous win, right. to put it mildly. Yet more injuries uh, from a Newcastle point of view. Jetro Willems, who uh, appears to suffer a cruciate ligament knee injury, potentially the end of his time at Newcastle because he's only on loan from Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, and also the unfortunate supporter who Matt Ritchie kicked the corner flag <laughs> into his, his, well, his groin, really. Yeah, and as you were pointing out, that's quite a dangerous thing of Matt Ritchie to do because we're all laughing because it hit somebody in the genitals and there was somebody was recording it. But if it hit somebody in the eye, it probably wouldn't have been quite Matt Ritchie's got form. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a serial flag kicker. kicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But that, that um, Willems one was uh, sort of really horrible to see because it, he kind of shrieked not in pain, but in the knowledge that he'd had a serious injury that meant he wasn't going to play right. for a long time. Um, so that was bad for him. Chelsea lost Reese James as well, which didn't help them particularly. And they missing people like Christian Pulisic in this game as well, I would suggest. Manager Frank Lampard is now talking about the brutal reality of football. Uh, we know where we need to strengthen. Uh, and he's talking about getting in some people with killer instinct in front of goal. It's interesting that he said that because in his press conference on Friday, he said, I'm worried, words to the effect of, I'm worried about upsetting the dynamics of the squad by bringing somebody new in. So it's quite a, a, a vault fast from him in the space of 48 hours or whatever to go from um, one extreme to the other. But I think he, he was talking in the aftermath of the match and expressing his frustration that, you know, Tammy Abraham had an off day, but he's been scoring the bulk of the team's goals this right. season. Mason Mount's gone quiet in terms of his, his goal scoring output. And he put Michy Batshuayi on with 10 minutes to go. And at the start of the season, that was a good substitution because he was likely to get you a goal. But that has completely dried up. He hasn't scored since October. So they do need um, another goal threat. But again, Chelsea have lost this game and it's not cost them much because the only team anywhere near them in the table who have won a game this weekend are Wolves. So they've still got a five-point buffer between the teams chasing them for the top four. They've got a run of games now. Uh, after they play Arsenal, they play Tottenham, Man United and Leicester in the coming weeks too. So it's a tricky run of games, but take points from them. You're taking points from teams who are also trying to uh, you know, get the same objective as you and they could find themselves with a healthy gap between right. themselves and the chasers. Steve Bruce, after the game, I think referred to Almiron as Mickey. <laughs> Mickey Almiron. So I, I, don't, I don't know if this is a that is what he goes by. Uh, I hope so. He calls Joe Linton Joe all the time, definitely. And and that, I've got to say that did temper the defeat uh, for me. Was the fact that Steve was happy about something and and you know very fulsome in his praise of his team and yeah, with a tear in my eye. Well, there's a lot for him to be happy about. Seven points clear of the drop and uh, some points above where they were last season at this point under Rafa Benitez, all that kind of thing. And Sam Maxima is back. You kind of mock a little bit the way Newcastle got their goal, but the the, the ball from Sam Maxima to set up uh, Isaac Hayden was uh, a sumptuous. Yeah, it was. And listen, Steve Bruce deserves credit. He's doing a really good job as Newcastle manager, and, and that, that doesn't kind of serve the wider narrative of, of his appointment, but it's true. Arsenal, meanwhile, had a 1-1 draw with Sheffield United. Nick Miller, you were there mm. to see Arsenal take the lead. Again. And, and not no, win again. Again. Yes, so they've only won uh, one of Mikel Arteta's games in charge so far, which was obviously it was against Manchester United. It was a slightly odd game, this one. Afterwards, both managers seemed to kind of agree that Arsenal should have won and that the only reason that the it was a 1-1 draw was that Arsenal didn't put their chances away and didn't put Sheffield United to bed, which is the, the, the phrase that was used a few times. But this kind of chaotic centre-back pairing that they had of David Luiz and Mustafi gave Sheffield United I think four free headers in the box they should have scored at least two of those and then they, they, they have kind of two basically two midfielders playing at fullback at the moment which contributed to the uh, eventual equaliser by very impressive John Fleck mm. um, but yeah it was just a, it was just a slightly odd game and I don't uh, I'm, you can sort of occasionally see moments of progress from Arsenal and you could kind of see what they're trying to do and the one thing that is very encouraging for a, a you know a fan base who haven't had a lot to encourage them uh, the past few years was uh, Gabriel Martinelli who scored and did a very passable Aubameyang impression and it's absurd he's 18 
and he looks like a player who's been there for five, six seasons. Mm. And uh, there is a piece. Although in, when you say that in an Arsenal context, it, it doesn't sound too good. But I know what he's you mean. He's been good for, for five, six seasons, not right, necessarily yeah. at Arsenal, perhaps. And there, <laughs> yeah. yes, there is a there is a beer piece on the uh, totallyfootballshow.com ah, good. on ver- that very subject. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, so Chelsea up against Arsenal then this Tuesday. Of course, uh, Mikel Arteta's first home game in charge was the heartbreaking late defeat to Chelsea. Arsenal, though, haven't won at Stamford Bridge in eight years. Good Lord. That was the 5-3 yeah, uh, was. AVB was in charge. Arsenal, as I mentioned, uh, lying down in 10th place at the moment. Do they have any possible ambitions left for this, this no, season? No, I think, I think that draw puts to bed any European ambition. They will be most likely, if they play European football next season, it'll be in the Europa League. Which sort of, again, it, it damns the recruitment process and how long it took to get Arteta in. Because Champions League qualification was there if they had moved to remove Emery quicker and mm. didn't have the weird half space of Freddie Lundberg but because they sort of waited for so long Arteta hasn't had the time he needs to sort of get forward his ideals and now by the time Arsenal finally do get clicking it'll be too late although as producer Charlie points out they could win the Europa League and find themselves back in the big time I think there are enough teams that finished in third place in the Champions League that has sort of thrown all of the English teams Europa League plans into disarray we shall see producer Charlie is an Arsenal fan he's maybe yeah that's maybe where that optimism is coming from uh, Sheffield United do you know who they're taking on next Benji Man nope. City Ooh. and that's who we're discussing next You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Zaha. Connor Rippon waiting in the centre. Taking on John Stone. Zaha, own goal. 2-2. Final minute of the 90. And Pep Guardiola's birthday celebrations are on hold again. Let's have a quick word on City. Because uh, they drew with Crystal Palace. Crikey, on Pep's birthday. What did you make of this game, Nick? Might have been the direct cause of the eventual result, but it was just another game which highlighted how silly it is that Man City don't have any sort of functioning centre-backs. They have Fernandinho, who's, you know, this kind of pet project of uh, Guardiola, where he's kept him in there for so long, and has kind of rotated John Stones and Otamendi sort of on the basis of who last made a mistake. Hmm. So, presumably, for the game against Sheffield United, Stones will be out and Otamendi will be in until he kind of... Uh, will Fernandinho get dropped because he actually owned gold here? Well, apparently, I, I don't think so because he's, you know, he's Guardiola's centre-back golden boy. It just, right. it's, just, it's not a new point that, that we're making, but it just seems so strange that when company left, and the company left in May... Or he announced he was going in May, so they had the whole summer to kind of think about this. That they didn't get someone else in, rather than having uh, Laporte and a kind of collection of centre backs that Guardiola clearly didn't, you know, rate or trust or like or whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's just a, a kind of another example of that. Vora Hodgson looking a lot more relaxed, and uh, not surprising given that a they scored a, whole, a whopping two goals in this game. And uh, what's the figures on that, Nick? They've now scored how many? 22 in their 23 league games, and that is a number lower than Norwich and Aston Villa's wow. totals. But amongst you know, amongst the motives for this sudden flurry of, of goals, the uh, loney from Everton, Schenk Tossen. Because I'm not sure if we all thought that was really going to work out so immediately, but it certainly... It, it just felt like one of those kind of shuffling of the papers moves, you know, a, a kind of average striker going from an average club to another sort of relatively average club and everyone else shrugged. Right. Certainly Man City's defenders shrugged and failed to pay him any attention at all as he opened up the, the, the scoring here. Their defence is impressive. This was actually the, the, the first time they've conceded more than one goal in 11 games. Um, yeah. Gary Cahill... Um, is playing brilliantly. Little quiz, Gary Cahill, how many England caps do you think he has? 16. 50. 46. 52. 61. Jeepers. Well, so, you know, I was he, kind of... Yeah, yeah. You were, I mean, maybe someone... He's, he's, the, he's the eighth most capped England centre-back of all time. Right. He's also... He's won everything in the game. He's won the League Cup... Champions League. Uh, I don't know why I started with the League Cup. He's won, he's won, <laughs> he's won, he's won the Champions League, the Europa League, the League nice. Cup, FA Cup, Premier League. Um, weirdly, I think one of the reasons that we don't think that you know we, that we don't think more about Gary Cahill is that his England time was under Roy Hodgson, 
And it was a kind of pretty underwhelming period for England. And now here he is back under Roy Hodgson and he's playing brilliantly. So yeah, I think credit to Palace. And he, he's been a massive ingredient for their success over the last little while, certainly their defensive success. Woof. Best game of the weekend, so potentially, arguably, came at St Mary's. Saints 2, Wolves 3. And you were there. I was there. I was there. It what was, was that like? It was the happiest I've seen Southampton, the city of Southampton. Since. Yeah, because they've had some miserable times at home, haven't they? Since I've since I've moved there, and it was. It, I mean, not just because of that, but you know, <laughs> also the football. Sorry, I do wear some peculiar clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Southampton fans were, were quite cheery. They'd gone from talking about relegation and playing the championship to sort of tongue in cheek talking about Southampton Europa League spaces. But the Spurs result sort of had Southampton fans giddily talking about if they win, they're going to go equal points with Spurs. And then 2-0 up at half-time, I've written the best part of 750 words on a certain player. I'm like, sweet, great, declared, I'm going to go to the pub after this. And then, uh, Which player were you writing about? Shane Long, Oh yeah, the, the, the little engine that could. It then sort of became the latest installment of the Adama Traore show. Damn. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm starting to wonder whether he represents something completely new in football. Because I can't think of a player we've ever seen like Adama Traore. We've, you know, we've seen outlandishly strong players, we've seen incredibly quick players. He's both. At the same time, and it and it sort of means that to beat a man, all he needs, all he really needs, is some space beyond them. He kicks the ball into it and runs, and you're not outmuscling him. You're not quicker than him. Um, and now he's shown that he knows what to do with it once he's there. It's generally, it feels like he's like a football loophole. Um, and I think he's my favourite player in the league this year. Is that right? He's, so much fun. He's, he's also kind of like he's like a sort of football project because you, you know you know you always hear about those players who are incredibly quick and people will say, well, one day he's going to develop some kind of end product. And then those players usually just kind of fade into obscurity or they become Theo Walcott or, yeah. or whatever. But Adama Traore, he has become that player with an end product. And Carl, you were talking in the office earlier on about how uh, you know how he was basically the key to the really how this interesting won. thing is. So someone who grew up in La Masaya being perfected by like Pulis and someone else, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. The interesting thing at St Mary's was he started on the left because Southampton's weakness all season has been Cedric Suarez in the right-back position. So it was clearly, we're going to run at Cedric Suarez. That didn't quite work because of Stuart Armstrong doubling up. Um, so they moved him onto the right-hand side. Was that the reason why? It no. was not. So okay. they moved him on 20 minutes on the right-hand side and Wolves got slightly better and that didn't quite work. So then at half-time, they moved him up front to partner Jimenez and they moved Neto in the 10. Right. And then from then on, Southampton as a back four, they're getting slightly better because they've got more communication, but they're not used to playing with two up against two strikers. And one one of those strikers is Traore, who right. could occupy two players by himself. Just opened so many holes. So Saints, who had been 2-0 up, ended up losing 3-2. Although there's perhaps to be... Carl? I was in conversation with Duncan Alexander, the man who says uh, a 2-0 lead isn't dangerous. Yes. And I said, how could this, <laughs> I said, how could this possibly happen? And then he, he, he reliably informed me that uh, this is the fifth time in Premier League history, Southampton have uh, thrown away a 2-0 lead to lose 3-2. But on Thursday, show we were talking about how Lindsay was saying, oh, Wolves, they just look a bit knackered, basically. Yeah. They've had far too many games. They don't rotate the squad. Games, was this, yeah? yeah, and they and they basically picked from a pool of 14, 15 players. Yeah. And they've come from 2-0 down to win 3-2 at one of the most informed teams in the league. It's, not, it's yeah. a funny old game. They're it not really even really is. picking from 14 players at the moment. They really haven't got any, other than maybe Morgan Gibbs-White, they haven't got any senior players on the bench at the moment. The starting 11 is basically it's like a Sunday league team it's the guys that show up and can walk which is so strange for a club that's got ambitions to get in the Champions League well Wolves there they are five points behind Chelsea in fourth place Uh, loads more to come on the show we'll hear about Spurs a bit and we'll also get on to the relegation picture some interesting developments there and some more big games coming up midweek Bosh, who wants to knock off uh, Watford Spurs for us, which we built up as being potentially the game of the weekend. I didn't really prove to be that, did it? No, I watched this. It was a real stinker. Um, Troy Deeney's penalty was Mm. well saved. Mm. Uh, Spurs had one cleared off the line. Just off the line. Ten millimetres of ball had not crossed the line. That's it. I mean, that's all that happened in the game. It was was turgid. Well, also, we got a brief glimpse of Jedson Fernandes. What did you make of him, if anything? Um... (laughs) I don't want to say headless chicken because that seems harsh, but he was does running. Seem harsh. Yeah, he was running about a lot, trying to get a touch of the ball in the way that I would if I got in in a Premier League game. I see. Props to Jaffet Tanganga as well. He's been really thrown in the deep end. He was up against Ismail Assar, who was probably Watford's most threatening player. Tanganga got booked after twenty minutes. 
And that then became the dominant theme of the game was Saar running at Tanganga. And I thought either they were going to score that way or Tanganga would get sent off and neither happened. So yeah, well done him. Excellent. Also, well done Harry uh, Winks who got a uh, hand in the face but didn't go down uh, flailing melodramatically. Which I, that was you know, my big take from I'm the game. I'm worried about Harry Winks on the Mourinho. I'm worried about all those central midfielders on Mourinho because you can't find the correct alchemy for that central midfielder. There's no muscle beyond their back four, which is quite rare for a Mourinho team. The moment Dembele left Spurs, just huge gap in their central mm. midfield. And it, now you're just getting this really... Un- quite sad thing where Spurs are trying to win games and then go oh, we should just get Christian Eriksen on shouldn't we which I think the, the quicker that is sewn up the better goal scoring as well without Harry Kane a real issue that's now the first time in over six years that Spurs have failed to score in three successive Premier League games ooh good point though for Watford arguably uh, now only Liverpool with a better record uh, than them since uh, Nigel Pearson took over although I see there's still only one point clear of the bottom three. Let's have a little look now at the relegation picture. Hey, Nick Miller, seven teams are in the the mix, either in the bottom three or within three points of it. Two of them, Bournemouth and Brighton, will be facing each other on Tuesday. One midweek, Villa hosts Watford, Norwich are at Spurs. And West Ham, ooh, Benji, visit Leicester. West Ham on Saturday uh, celebrated a decade with the decade. I like to say, <laughs> um, yeah, ten years of Golden Sullivan. It was quite, yeah. I think, quite a moving tribute from uh, West Ham. Um, it's today, ten years, and, and we're, yeah, we're commemorating the anniversary by being in exactly the same league position as we were when they took really? over, sixteenth yeah. <laughs> uh, in the league. Um, yeah, we so probably, when they took yeah. over, just to a little bit of background. So that was after the the biscuit men from uh, Iceland, is yeah. that right? Uh, the Icelandic people buy us. Bottom falls out of the global economy. Golden Sullivan take over. And it's, and it is it's a ten years in which everything has changed and nothing has changed. The major changes, of course, are sort of commercial. We've got this shiny new stadium. We're now consistently in the um, top twenty revenue generating clubs in the world, James, which you all know is very very important. Uh, truth is, as a fan, sort of none of that really means anything. You just want to see good football, and and really good football in, in in the ten years of Golden Sullivan has been the exception rather than the rule. So, they came in at the tail end of Zola, then appointed Avram Grant, right? Then Allardyce, then Bilic which turned out to be the fun bit because we yeah. had the Dimitri Payet season, mm. which was a complete joy. We managed to convince Dimitri Payet to stay on to the new stadium because we were about to go to the next level. Uh, next level turns out to be Simone Zaza. Didn't quite go to plan. Payet left, Bilic left. Uh, that's when we had the first half of the Moyes Pellegrini sandwich. And then here we are exactly where we started. Yeah, and the, the kind of weird thing at the moment, the, the, the kind of motif seems to be bringing people back who weren't good enough the first time. David Moyes and indeed Dan Randolph. Yeah, and, and this is the this is I think the underlying issue with Golden Solomon is that yeah we haven't really changed in ten years and we're all probably looking backwards. Football has changed massively. Um, I was reading this week how Liverpool have got an astrophysicist and a and another physics PhD working on pitch control. I can say with some certainty that the West Ham don't have any, any, anything an like that. Astrophysicist working on pitch control. Yeah, do, doing data science modelling to help Liverpool control the pitch, specifically their midfielders. Right, okay. they're, they're living in the future, James. Whereas it feels like how West would that Ham work are, though? How does an astrophysicist to what what area of the, of the I think the the point is it's just really clever chaps who, okay. who can who can do boffins yeah boffins <laughs> yeah it wasn't long hey that's that's exceptional <laughs> that 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 <laughs> space that's fantastic nice. yeah it just it feels like we're 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 not quite there yet and we are mostly looking backwards and and players like Declan Rice are becoming so important for 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 West Ham because they represent something of a soul. Yeah, and that's the thing that West Ham have achieved precisely nothing in the last 10 years and and to achieve precisely nothing we we've, we've sacrificed our stadium. Um when it was Declan Rice's birthday last week and they did like a reverse Yaya Toure like it was blanket coverage across <laughs> social media about the fact that it was Declan Rice's birthday. Um, I mean, the, the game was, was fairly uneventful. The thing that is quite frustrating from Moyes is that I, I was at, um, up at Sheffield United and Sebastian Alea won 19 aerials in that game and had no one else around him to pick up the second balls. 13 aerials in this, in this game, same thing. Like, that's a lot of hard work for nothing. <laughs> And Moyes hasn't quite spotted yet that Alain needs someone along, uh, alongside him. At the other end, I thought there was quite a fun little battle of the Italians between Moise Keane and Ogbonna. Moise Keane was really good. I think, yeah. An- yeah, I think Ancelotti has sort of had a word in his ear and said, 
you know, this is the sort of thing that English fans like. Okay, uh, Mikel Antonio had looked like he was going to be returning, to, but he's not. Uh, he and David Moyes don't get on. Is that right? Oh, I don't know. I've got a feeling. When Moyes came in, I thought he was retrospectively punishing Antonio for driving his Lamborghini into someone's front garden dressed as a snowman. Yeah, I think that there is some previous between them. And, and is that well? It's a shame because he's the one that should be yeah. playing up front alongside right, Allaire. That's, yeah. The other problem with Antonio is is that he's he's actually physically quite similar to Adama Traore. Like he yeah. is an absolute tank, but he's so finely tuned mm. that his sort of hamstring traditionally subsides once every six weeks. So yeah. Benji, two more questions to you from me. One is, what were the fan protests that I, I, I read about? over the kind of 10-year anniversary of the, of the Davids. Was, was there anything? I think sort of just general malaise and disappointment. There's still, but ultimately... There were some it, people outside the stadium Yeah, a couple of hundred no. people. Right, okay. Yeah, it, what it comes down to is this whole next-level thing, which is nonsense. I don't think any West Ham fan... We were promised jetpacks. Yeah, this is it. But mm. I think they, they might sort of slightly look at what happened to Man City. You know, they mm. sacrificed their spiritual home and their old their, their, their stadium to get to the next level, and that came in the shape of David Silvers and, and Sergio Aguero's and... We've had sort of Harvard Noidvites and Gokhan Tores, and and it's just, it's just not quite the same. So you can you can understand why the fans are pretty annoyed about it. Of course, it. of course. And how much trouble are West Ham in? Because you're one point from the bottom three, and your next two games are Leicester and Liverpool. And I think we got we got Liverpool twice because we got the rearranged oh, yeah. Liverpool game. Yeah. Uh, then we got Man City. Yeah, we're, we're in a bit of trouble. This was the kind of game that we should have won. This was Everton without um, Richarlison, without Sigurdsson at home. Um, and we didn't look much better than one all was pretty much the right result. They'll be much more pleased with the point than we are. Yeah, we are absolutely in the scrap. Tuesday, it's Bournemouth-Brighton. Brighton got held by Villa this weekend, and Bournemouth lost at Norwich. Norwich clocking up their first win in 10 Premier League games against the backdrop of Eddie Howe's troubled visage. Reports during the week that uh, Cherry's management had asked him maybe to think about putting his things in a box. And that this is we're right in the middle of that run of four games against Bournemouth rivals, and he's lost the first two already. I mean, credit to Steve Cook, what a save! <laughs> that is so. Is that what the turning point of this game was when he got the red card early on for admittedly very brilliant, a, a brilliant save? save. That oh. that is the sort of combination of bad and unlucky that sees teams get relegated. That's the sort of thing you can't predict. That just happens every now and again in every team. But I, oh, oh God, we're getting relegated. This Bournemouth team I, are I in... I still uh, can't believe... But yet, Matt, you were here. When when was it you made that bold prediction? I think it was like October, but... something. You what just, was it that made you think that Bournemouth... <laughs> I looked at their squad and the signings that they make, and they're not very good, those two things together. I think they've got one excellent player in Nathan Ake, and they've, they've got another excellent player who's been on the treatment table all season in David Brooks, which is, which is not nothing. But, you know, Callum Wilson was a good striker, doesn't seem to be that good mm. anymore. They haven't got much else backing them up. Steve Cook... You know, he's he's saving balls that he should be trying to head away. He's not probably Premier League quality either. And what you said there, James, is not something that I'd heard, but the owners had asked him to maybe think about packing his no, thing. No, I hadn't heard this either, but I read this okay, but, admittedly but, on the internet. But that's so mealy-mouthed, isn't it? That And that yeah. that is a sort of Bournemouth thing, I think. You know, there's, there's no... Yeah, Eddie Howe seems like a nice guy, not particularly charismatic. All right, lads, um, we're going to play this way this week and you know, maybe we'll win the game. And then the owner's going to come down and say, I don't know, Eddie, maybe it's not going that well. Maybe we <laughs> well, it's just let somebody take some decisive action here. Let's not just spend 20 million quid on a Liverpool reserve and maybe that'll work. Let's, let's do something else. You're saying Bournemouth are big wetties. <laughs> yeah. Really interesting you brought up the injury record there. So um, at The Athletic, our Bournemouth writer Peter has written a really big piece and said, 35 injuries for Bournemouth since the start of 2019. Really interesting comments from Tyrone Mings before the playoff final when I was at Aston Villa where he basically said I had a seven-week back injury when I was at Bournemouth and I was out for seven months. Um, so they're apparently... Why, just they managed it badly? Apparently, or? look, there's like a forensic look at what's going wrong at this sort of medical staff. But it, it, whatever's going on, whatever they're doing... Who what, does have a good medical staff, Carl? Uh, Southampton have a really, really good one. Okay. Uh, Liverpool have a really, really good mm. one. Uh, I know West Ham have quite a good one in terms of just <laughs> in terms of just knowledge of the body. And, and sort of if, if a player comes around and goes, this part of my leg hurts, they'll go, do this, do this. And then it obviously it then becomes a thing of whether or not the West Ham player does it or if they choose to crash the Lamborghini. Uh, Wolves must too, right? Wolves, Wolves medical team's quite good. Um, Adamatori dislocated his shoulder and was playing the next week. <laughs> yeah. That, they need those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Bournemouth, Bournemouth's injury record is quite bad. Your comment about Mealy Mouth. So apparently they've got like a a, 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 a forfeit wheel at Bournemouth. 
I feel bad. So um, you're, so you're... when you're late for fines and whatnot, they sort of you, you come in and all the, all the players will spin the wheel like, all right, here's your fine. Oh, it's five quid for the, which sort of has lost its luster after the fifth season in the Premier League. Carl, your your man on the inside, the athletics correspondent at Bournemouth. I mean, had he talked about this uh, this this notion that Eddie Howe's tenure? Because I think everyone else thought that he was kind of absolutely rock solid. Whatever happened, he's rock solid. So, so that's completely nonsense. That basically suggestion that uh, he's he's in a prison of his own making. It's very crime and punishment of sort of Eddie Howe. If you look at these press conferences, and I, this got brought up by Miles um, Jacobson, Watford fan off the mm. Watford game, he said. You can see in Eddie Howe's face where he sort of sat there and he's gone, right, if I was anyone else, I'd be sacked. But I can't be sacked because I'm basically Bournemouth's greatest ever manager. I can't really walk because Bournemouth can't go out and get Ancelotti like Everton will do. They can't go out and get, uh, you know, the person in charge of Dortmund's number twos. So they can't get in someone of equitable quality. Bournemouth's finances are massively reliant on Premier League money. 89% Mm. of their revenue comes in from the TV broadcast deal. They can't survive on parachute payments in the championship. So he's in this thing of... If he leaves, they're up the creek. And he's sort of like, well, I probably should have left two or three months ago and tried to, what's Boothroyd doing? Can I get on the 21 job and save face? He's trapped. Would the ideal situation here be to, and I don't necessarily have a name in mind here, to get someone in who will joylessly grind out enough points for the rest of the season to keep them up and then ask Eddie to come back in the summer and when everyone's kind of (laughs) just, you know, let him have a few months to sort of, have a think and, you know, have a relax and kind of go somewhere warm and drink a drink with a little umbrella in it, then come back in July refreshed and he can start again. It hurts seeing him sad. Does it? Yeah. I don't know. He's clearly trying so hard. sad. No. I, I think he's in an emotionless Well, now. you would say that. You've cursed him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. So I think it, it, it does look, he, he, he looks like a, he has a very sad, sad face, if that makes sense. He was like a, he was a broken man in that Match of the Day interview. Mm. You know, he's basically saying, I'm trying as hard as I possibly can, and it's not working. Next up for Bournemouth, as I say, Brighton, uh, who've only won one game in ten, but <laughs> it was against Bournemouth. So, yeah. What about, though, the team that actually won this game, uh, Norwich? Yeah, and shout out to Emi Buendia, who is the second most creative player in the Premier League in, in terms of chances created. Uh, he's also the third the third most successful dribbles in the league. I think there's been a lot of focus on Pookie and Cantwell, but Buendia mm. really is something quite special, I think. He's only 23. Um, in fact, it's a real quirk this season. I think two of the three most creative players in the league will probably not be in it at the end of the year, uh, Jack Grealish being the other one. All right. by, by comparison, last year, in relegated teams, um, only Victor Caramarasa was in the top 20 uh, chances created. I actually think as well, Last season of relegated teams, only three players returned to the Premier League. Sessegnon uh, from Fulham and Billing and Moy from Huddersfield. Right. I think there's a whole load of great players in, in the relegations. So you look at Villa, have got Grealish and McGeehan yeah. and Mings. You've got uh, Cantwell, Pookie and Buendia at Norwich. And there are players at, at, at Bournemouth as well. So it, I think it's, it's something quite different about this year in terms of these relegated te- the teams that are in the relegation zone right anyway. Benji you're saying the three most creative players based on, on what so it was it chances was created alright oh, so uh, Buendia Grealish and who's the other one then Kevin De Bruyne number one right. and they're, they're the most above. chances cre- they're the producers of the most chances this yeah, year yeah and I think the other two there or thereabouts are Trent and right. James Madison Buendia oh, yeah. is very much like a in the nicest way he's a bootleg Bernardo Silva He's, a fa- he's fantastic, and I think there will be a bum fight for him when they go down, and mm-hmm. I think they will be able to charge a hell of a lot of money for You for don't see Norwich uh, making it out with the exciting wins like this one? No, I, th- I think that Norwich are actually in a weirdly nice place. Where Did you he, did he see um, Farker celebrating with the fans at the end, having a lovely time? Yeah. Well, he, I, I live next door to a Norwich fan, and he's sort of like, yeah, we're going down, but we're, we're going to have a nice time along the way, you know, and, well, and Brendia is a big part of that. That's good. Let's talk about Jack Grealish then, the game he was involved, because it was against Brighton. It was a 1-1 draw. And Brighton take on Bournemouth next, so this all ties in nicely together. Uh, oh, good Lord, he's on seven goals and five assists now, Jack Grealish. Where would they be without him? And Pepe Reina looked quite handy as well. Did you hear the Dean Smith quote about Pepe Reina? No. His charisma's rubbing off on people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice then. He's a hype man, Pepe Reina, isn't he? <laughs> he always Clearly, has been. Yeah, yeah. He's the, you know, he was the kind of... The MC of the World Cup win, despite being a third-choice <laughs> keeper. I think he's probably great fun to have around. They gave him the, I think they gave him the biggest... Hotel room in that World Cup. <laughs> so very often, you know, World Cup squads, you yeah. give the the big 
hotel room to either the most senior player or like the married one who like organizes all the stuff and they big gave the campus. biggest one in the Spain squad to one for Casillas and one for Pepperoni because Pepperoni was like come around let's play Uno <laughs> so why not Villa are one point of safety one point behind Watford guess who they're facing midweek Nick is it Watford it is Watford uh, featuring Troy Deeney, who has a tremendous record against Villa. He scored five goals in his three league appearances, which may or may not be connected with the fact that he's got a Birmingham City tattoo. Let's just hope he doesn't get a penalty, eh? Ah, yeah, fair Missed point. three of the last six, although he, I believe he had scored 12 of the previous 13. So mm. maybe he's just having a bad run. Anyway, how crucial is it? So that game's coming at midweek, Aston Villa against Wolverhampton. How big is the Bournemouth-Brighton match? It's massive. And, you know, I've sort of piled in on Bournemouth, not, not really meaning to, but just because my initial suggestion that they might get relegated was met with such scorn. But mm. Brighton have won one of eight, and that was against Bournemouth. So are we kind of being a bit kind to Graham Potter in a way that we're not being to, to Eddie Howe, just because they play nicer football than they did under Chris Hewton in terms of results it doesn't seem to have been well they're five points better off yeah but they're still in a relegation battle I mean I don't think there's been a a massive improvement and as I say one win in eight not not particularly special already out the FA Cup to Mm. lower league opposition Uh, they got to the semi-final of that last year I'm not sure that it's been an unqualified success even though he's clearly got some very interesting ideas and plays an attractive brand of football. But so say a Matt, you know, are you predicting <laughs> that Brighton will go down? There? I'm not predicting anything. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a group chat with the other with the Brighton and the Bournemouth reports for the Athletic. It's like the South Coast group. Uh, and we're all sort of really stressed out because of how many teams in the championship are in the north. It's like, oh God, that's a lot of trains you gotta get. <laughs> yeah man. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Just out of interest, Matt, if it is Bournemouth going down, who are the other two teams going down with them? Oh definitely Norwich and Another team, not Aston Villa. Okay, no. really? No. Ah. no. Norwich are only six points off safety. It's Norwich not. Done. They've got a they've got a really difficult run of games coming up. Norwich have, and that was their first home win since they beat Man City right back at the start of the season. So, wow. yeah, All you right. can see Grealish single handedly saving yeah. Villa. He he's really probably one of the best players in the league this year. Just think how good he's going to be in the Euros. Hey. Well, genuinely, he's behind Rashford. He's probably the most talented player we've got that can play on the left of a three. Personally, I don't think Abraham is a solution for England. I think that he's a penalty box striker. If we, if, I would play without a striker. I'd play some combination of Rashford, Grealish, Sancho, Sterling. What are you doing? What? I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, we're going to win the Euros with Jack Grealish playing on the left of a strikerless front, front three. What are you... No! <laughs> just suggesting it. All right. What's that clip that of Joe Gomez and Harry Maguire? There you go. After this, we'll have a few final thoughts on the midweek action. We'll hear about WSL and loads of other delights as well. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Matt, you were all over Man United Spurs on Sunday in the Women's Super League. I was all over a bit of it, but it was really misty, so it was quite difficult to see uh, the whole pitch. Mm. I'm sort of surprised that the game went ahead, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, Man United and Spurs, they both came up from the Championship last season. Obviously, Man United, essentially a new club. Um, and they both adapted pretty well, but uh, but Man United have just got a brilliant record against Spurs. They beat them 9-2 on aggregate in the Championship last season, and they've won both games 3-0 against them this time round, although it took them till the second half uh, to score. But the big game was Chelsea at Arsenal, and they walloped them 4-1 Emma Hayes' team, which is great uh, for people like me who have a vested interest in them. Uh, it means they're a point behind Man City, who are leaders, and Arsenal, who are second, but they've got a game in hand on both of them. Arsenal would have gone seven points ahead of Chelsea if they'd won. And Sam Kerr got her first WSL goal, which was nice, but Sophie Ingle got the best goal that anybody scored anywhere this weekend. Crosses coming into the penalty area in this game. What a goal! Yeah, Didier Drogba was uh, tweeting her sensational strike, as he called it. Yes, he likes to tweet good Chelsea goals, which is um, uh, good for me because some of them have my commentary on and I get a big spike in Twitter followers when he does that. So thanks, Didier. Nice. Loves a goal against Arsenal as well, doesn't he? Do you think the men's Chelsea-Arsenal would live up to that one? Um, I don't think there'll be a goal of that quality in it, to be honest. I mean, that's one of the... uh, And uh, Guro Wrighton scored an amazing goal for Chelsea uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. They're, They're in... Really fantastic form at the moment. Emma Hayes called it Champions League form. And there was kind of a, a weird theory doing the rounds that, you know, if Chelsea didn't win this game, they were out of the title race, etc. But they've got such a deep squad at the moment. And they've got, you know, what, what we are led to believe is the best player in the world in Sam Curry's just come into it. So I think they are well set for um, a proper title push. And 
it's a really devastating blow for Arsenal. Their manager, Joe Montemurro, has looked beside himself after the game, saying this was all my fault. I changed the system, got it completely wrong. I'm ever so sorry. Um, should his first name not be Jam? <laughs> uh, anyway, in the, in the mid, mid, midweek in the Premier League, uh, Palace are up against Saints. It's going to be exciting. Everton take on Newcastle. Uh, Ancelotti with his third home game in charge. He's won the previous two 1-0. Hey, Calvert-Lewin's got 11 goals this season in all competitions. That's nice. Uh, we mentioned Aston Villa taking on Watford. Watford then... That's on Tuesday. And what for two days later, take on Tranmere in their FA Cup replay, assuming that the pitch has been sorted out this time. Sheffield United hosts Man City. Hey, you like a quiz question, Benji. Who was the last Man City player to score at Bramall Lane? Sean Gota. No, it was after that. Anybody? Rubinho? There's literally no reason why you should know this. this Michael Ball. No. Can you give, can no, you give us a year? Penza. No, 2008, it was an FA Cup tie. Elano. Well, Benjani. No. Was it uh, Petrov? Martin Petrov. Oh, he was a player. Bodjinov. Bless you. I re- <laughs> <laughs> uh, step forward, Daniel Sturridge. Oh. Yeah. We'd have been here a long time oh, trying yeah. to get that. Yeah. That was, was when Sven Joran Eriksson was in charge of Man City. And they were defeated uh, 2-1 by Brian Robson's Blades. That was in the fourth round. Simpler times, everybody. Simpler times. A Wednesday Spurs host Norwich. Which game are you most looking forward to midweek? Wolves-Liverpool. Yeah? If both teams kind of go at it as they, as they can, that'll be an incredibly entertaining game, I think. Anybody else got a radically different viewpoint? Sheffield United. Uh, Manchester City is going to be a really fun one. Yeah. I think we're still not taking Sheffield United seriously. Uh, so they, they tweeted uh, a really fun little video of basically people saying Sheffield United aren't at the start of the season well how everyone's tipped them for relegation like, no there's no egos here this is this is a team thing they've got a half serious chance of finishing the Europa League places defeats and draws to Sheffield United are still being treated as the bigger side not taking it seriously or having a bad day instead of no Sheffield United did a job on you right? this this is a very good Sheffield United side Pep Guardiola has said some very interesting things about Wilder and his tactical ideas Wilder's amazing I think one of the universal truths of football is when a bunch of players are, are playing above the sum of their parts it's the manager and the, the inverse is also true when, when they're not being managed you could argue that about Man United um, yeah I, I was at Bramall Lane last week which I don't really want to talk about because of that disallowed bloody goal but Sheffield United are great they are a proper team Chris Wilder was quite interesting after the Arsenal game at the weekend when someone asked him about uh, Man City and he kind of gave us the sort of oh we'll have to improve if we're going to have a chance against those guys kind of thing but it seemed a little bit unlike him because he's been he hasn't been that kind of oh we're poor little Sheffield United he whenever they if they draw against you know Arsenal or whatever he is usually kind of well we should have done better in this one and obviously City have shown that they are can be very vulnerable so you know I think there's a decent chance that Sheffield United could get something out of this one be interesting and Chelsea Arsenal of course Matt for you yeah, absolutely. Closely followed by that um, Bournemouth-Brighton game. Just huge, for masochistic reasons. Huge, huge games. <laughs> all right, very, very shortly we'll be hearing about uh, all sorts of extraordinary things, not least uh, Alan Pardew's brilliant debut with his new uh, Dutch side. Right now, though, Paddy Power. Good morning, listeners. And I think I speak for all of you when I say there is no better way to kickstart your week than speaking to Lee Price from Paddy Power. There's a full set of fixtures in the Premier League this Tuesday and Wednesday. Let's start with the biggest game of them all. It's Frank Lampard versus Mikel Arteta at the bridge. Chelsea versus Arsenal. Who's going to come out on top here? Mm, Yeah, both teams having disappointing results over the weekend. But the beauty of this rapid turnaround in the Premier League schedule is that each now have a huge chance for a massive confidence boost of a win in this one. Obviously, they met less than a month ago at the Emirates and Chelsea came out on top there. So our traders think the same will happen again here. It's 8-11 Frank Lampard wins that battle of the managers that you cite. 7-2 Mikel Arteta does. The draw, which I always fancy in games like this, is 11-4. Pep Guardiola is making his first ever trip to Sheffield, at least, uh, you know, in a professional capacity. Can the Blades beat Man City, though? It's going to be a weird rest of the season for Man City, isn't it? They've not got much left to play for in the Premier League because they're 14 points off fifth place. So top four seems secure. And they're even further off Liverpool, so they won't win the title. But we do think they'll win this game. They're one to three to beat Sheffield United, which is too short for me. And that is something I'd never thought I'd be saying back in August for a match between these two teams. The Blades are 15-2 to to record yet another impressive victory. The draw is 4-1. to 
And finally, Troy Deeney. He loves scoring against Aston Villa, don't we all? But will he do it again for Watford at Villa Park? Yeah, he does. The man of the cojones. Though I'm sure if you asked him, he'd win out that classic footballer cliche about the team winning being more important. And we make his Watford favourites to do so here, although it is quite tight. They're 13 to 10 to take the victory. Aston Villa are 15 to 8, and the draw is 12 to 5. As for Deeney, it's 5 to 2 that he scores. It's also 7 to 1 that a penalty's missed in this game, as Deeney did last time out. Although, surely, the next penalty he takes won't just be smashed down the middle. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Coming up uh, early on Tuesday is Totally Football Show European Edition, which promises to be a cracker among the many diverse topics we will be covering. Erling Haaland's incredible debut for Dortmund. Did you see this, Benji? I've heard rumour. Yeah, so uh, they're 3-1 down. They go, we'll bring on the youngster. off the bench. 55 minutes in. He comes in 23 minutes later. He's scored a hat-trick. They end up winning 5-3. That kid is incredible. First three touches. Hat-trick. Oh, well, not, not a hat-trick in German yeah. football, because <laughs> yeah. in German football, you have to score one, two, three, whereas I think someone scored in between one of his goals. Um, Seriously, they don't give you a match ball if yeah, somebody no, else no, was no, on no, the radio no. at the weekend explaining this. It's, it's, it's very nice that he got three goals in the game, but it's not a hat-trick. No, no. You, have to, you, have to, <laughs> you have to score them in order if someone intervenes. And in the same through. half as well, which he did. Yeah. You have to score them in the same half? Yeah. yeah. What? For it to be a German hat-trick, Come same on. order. Those guys are uh, crazy. Yeah, he has the match ball. He's been on Instagram with the match ball because he is six foot four, and yeah. I, I don't know is that just, if you know his dad. He's you're not going to argue. With really him. attached to footballs as well. I don't know if you remember his quotes back when uh, when he first kind of broke into our consciousness in the, the the Champions League group stage. He was talking about how he, he basically he makes the the balls his girlfriends. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he will take them home, sleep with them, and say nice things. Ronaldinho said very similar things as well. Also, with a hat trick this weekend on Ye Continent, Chudo Mobley. As Lazio smashed Sampdoria 5-1 and notched up their 11th straight victory, they are insisting on being included in the title conversation in Italy. We'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about the extraordinary murder mystery currently enveloping the Spanish game. But, you know, in European terms, what's more exciting than Alan Pardew having his first game in Holland? It was the clash of the bottom two. Den Haag, Pardew's team, taking on uh, Valvik. Beating them 2 0. Did you see the glorious banner that the uh, Den Haag supporters had erected in, in Alan and, and Chris Powell, his deputy's uh, honour? Uh, it depicted them as Ghostbusters, and the legend said, Who are you going to call? Which, I mean, it's touching that they would afford him that kind of regard, no? Well, it's just, uh, I imagine it's nice for Alan to be, you know, treated nicely by yeah. fans after. I reckon he funded that. By <laughs> <laughs> Opening goal scored by Shaquille Pinas. First time he's got out of trouble with his penis, I think, probably. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's a win, which is as many as he managed in his 18 games. There's quite a lot of um, English action in, in the Netherlands right now. Is there? there yeah, there's, um, I highly, highly recommend a Twitter account called it's English Abroad One. And they, they basically catalogue all the England players that you've never, English players you've never heard of that are overseas. Okay. And there is, um, there's a left back at Vitesse Arnhem. It was released by Hull a few years back called Max Clark, um, who is tearing it up. Um, and apparently Liverpool are looking at him as a, as a potential replacement, uh, not as someone to alternate Robertson with. There's also, in the, in the second tier, in the young PSV team, that they play in the second tier of, of uh, Dutch football, Noni Madwaki, 17-year-old, released by Spurs, scored a wonder goal in his debut. The, the most interesting of the Chelsea loanees is currently at um, Roda, um, Ike Ugbo. Ike Ugbo, yeah. yeah he's scored 10 in he scored ten and 18. Um, so, yeah, the English are taking Holland by storm. And of Mark, course, uh, Lee Cutemol. And, of course. of course, Lee Cutemol. Oh, there's another guy, and this is, he's, not in, he's, not in Hol- he's not in Holland. Um... Adam Johnson, not that one. Um, he's 23 years old from Sheffield. He's currently playing for Bowdoin's BK in the Swedish fourth division. He has scored 64 goals in 75 games. That's remarkable. Massive in Bowdoin's. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not sure if we'll touch on that in the European show on Tuesday, uh, but we're trying to have a word for Sam Pirois, who've been back and actually remember the, the, uh, the team from the volcanic island of Réunion, uh, who've been uh, in action in the, in the French Cup again. Uh, Wednesday, what happens on Wednesday? Oh, there's uh, the first of a two-part Golazzo special on Francesco Totti. 
So that's nice. And also, Matt, am I right in thinking that the Totally Football League show will be dropping? It certainly will, yeah. It'll be mm. Caroline in the hot seat, but um, it will be dropping nonetheless. And I bet, as we did on this week's show, they'll be talking about Leeds' latest wobble. Right. They've been having one, haven't they? They've Ooh. been dropping. Yeah. Mm. And uh, Caroline, it'd be interesting to hear how she's feeling after Jonathan Woodgate had a go. She's extremely resilient. He's not the first to try and have a go. More Truffle Ducks back. Well, anyway, you can catch up with Caroline on Wednesday and obviously there's loads of stuff Uh, many thanks to everyone for being with us today Uh, Nick Miller Benji Lanyardo Matt Davis Adams and Carl Anker and you listener have yourself a great week hope it all goes splendidly and we'll catch up with you soon you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. Ruby is the expert. Tom holds it together and Paddy, well, Paddy's funding the whole thing so he insisted that he gets to be involved. (laughs) The first episode is available to download now. Muddy News Media.